Off top, Aspen was originally a silver mining town. Play music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Boring off the top, but I mean, I was there. I thought it was just like a resort, but no, apparently it was a silver mining town. And then it wasn't until later that people were like, oh, nice mountains here. Let's turn this into something. Take people's money to come up here and look around. Anyway, Charlie, how was uh, your week without me in your life? Uh, sad, less <laughs> interesting. Um, I was sort of like those those memes from Pablo Escobar from season one of Narcos, where I, I was just <laughs> walking around standing with my arms behind my back, pondering the meaning of life. You know what I like to hear. All right. So we haven't talked at all about Lamar. I was on vacation when mm-hmm. the trade demand came out or well, the yeah, it wasn't the official demand. It was uh, the information that he had requested one before and this conversation to me is confusing me too and i don't yeah i don't know people have gotten a lot more i think a lot of a lot of my um analysis when it comes to issues like this is reacting to the reaction and the reaction is so unclear to me because it feels like everyone is is not as confused by this as they should be is when you take a step back and you look at what's actually happening, this is crazy. Yes. <laughs> this is but I have so many I have so many questions. I t- I texted you when this happened. I knew you were with your family. Yeah. And I was like, I have to text you. I hope you've seen this. I want you to think yeah. about this. Yeah. Um so you know, the context here, Lamar tweeted this out right when Harbaugh is going to the podium, being like Lamar is our quarterback. The first question I have, I've I've got a slew of them, but what are the Ravens doing? How are, are what are the how do the Ravens evaluate Lamar Jackson and what's their strategy here? Um, because if are we just assuming that Steve Bishotti is on a group chat with the other thirty one owners being like no one signed this guy? Like what how 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 what are what's the what's their play here? How do they win? When I'm thinking about major decisions like this in my life, or when running an organization, or when analyzing decisions from major organizations, is you kind of got to lay everything out and to like make it more brief it's about the risk and the probability uh of the outcomes frankly Mm -hmm. and so we can start with the downside so first of all something that i said a long time ago whenever there's a quarterback that you think might be your guy pay him as soon as you possibly can this lesson has should be learned over and over again There has not been a time when it's been wise to not pay your quarterback as soon as you possibly can. I guess Baker Mayfield is the example where they could have paid him early and I thought that they should have and I was dead ass wrong. But chances are pay your quarterback as soon as you possibly can. The number will be lower. You'll avoid this uncomfortable foolishness that ends up, I think, frankly, hurting you more than it helps you. So are we to assume that they never tried to pay Lamar over this time? Um. Well, I think that we have to know that they they waited until after other guys got signed, which is always a mistake. And one guy in particular. And again, I can't climb into Lamar's head. He doesn't have an agent. Agents are normally the the conduit for us getting this information. So he's been very tight lipped about what's going on uh, over there. But my assumption is if they offered him 
the to be the highest paid quarterback in the league as soon as he finishes third season, which is when he was eligible for a um, extension and not fully guaranteed. My assumption is he would have taken it. They did not. And it's coming back to bite them harder than they expected. But that tends to be my philosophy for any GMs that are running the teams. Pay your guy as soon as you can. All right. So that aside, from analyzing the decision from the Ravens standpoint, a very historically very smart and respected organization. So I assume that this process has been well thought out. So like I mentioned, you think of the alternatives and the probability that they will happen. So I'll say the downside is if now, not in the past, because it's too late, that's already passed right now, give him the fully guaranteed contract that he wants uh, that a dollar more than Deshaun Watson got. The downside, potential downside is he gets injured or he's a lesser version of himself. Uh, You will be tied to him for four years or five years. We could say, let's say he, the worst possible things happens. He gets hurt and he's not anywhere close to the quarterback that you expect him to be. So you're going to be bad for three or four years, maybe two years, depending on when the injury happens. I don't see that happening, but let's say that there's a 50% chance that it happens. Okay. It's the chance that you could take that. You don't sign him and he doesn't show up, there is a 100% chance that you will suck for the next three, four, five years. So there's no reason in my view to not pay him unless this is about the principle of not being the person to perpetuate this fully guaranteed contract thing. And the dumb thing about the fully guaranteed contract fight, to me at least, is no one else is going to have the leverage to do that And also, you're going to end up paying him all the money anyway or renegotiating later if he turns out to be good. And we could go through all the quarterbacks that have signed big extensions. Who's the one that got cut early? Who's the one? Name them. A lot of of that's because of dead dead cat money, too, and being stuck with the guys. So that's the point. You're going to have dead cat money anyway. Like, the Mm -hmm. point is... What are you holding out for? You're holding out for some sort of flexibility? Flexibility to do what? That's what doesn't make sense to me. Is like, why would they not want to make this? The only argument, the only thing that seems to make sense to me is that Steve Bashadi either doesn't have the money to put in escrow, or which I think is probably not true, mm-hmm. or he does not want to piss off everyone else and give this fully guaranteed contract. So the thing that came to my mind, is there is a massive gap. You know, we talk about the gap between the way that like other players view Kyrie Irving and the way we view him. There's a massive gap between the football, the way the football analysts and the smart football people we know think and analyze Lamar Jackson and his future prospects and the way these teams are evaluating it. I don't like, to me, that is the only logical situation here is that they don't think that he that there's not a team that's greedy enough to think that he can make enough value on the field to be worth that contract because otherwise these teams are obsessed with winning. It's crazy. And this is where the problem calls, like obviously I'm not accusing anybody of collusion, but what seems more more realistic? None of these teams, no other team who needs a quarterback thinks he's good or no other team. Well, it's not that they think he's good. If they don't think he's good enough for that contract, no other team thinks he's good enough for that contract and trading the picks or no other team wants 
to be the team that signs another player to uh, a fully guaranteed contract? Like, what seems more realistic to you? That some team doesn't feel comfortable? Oh, I'm totally uh, flummoxed. I have no fucking clue what's going on. I, I don't know. I He's one of the eight. Like, we went through this, and I saw, I know Simmons did this also, but I had made the list independently. He's one of the eight good quarterbacks in the NFL. Where you want to put him in that eight in that eight list, I don't really care. As long as it's below Mahomes, I don't really care. There are so you're trying to win a championship. Yeah. There aren't a lot of quarterbacks that you put them in a situation, you become a champion. We we can list them right now. It's Pat Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Aaron Rodgers, um, Lamar Jackson, and I'm trying to think there's one more that I'm I've taken off this list but okay either way seven quarterbacks is one of the seven yeah. quarterbacks if i forgot someone it's because i'm i don't have that top it's of my because head. you hate Dak prescott but um i will put him on that list also but it doesn't sure. matter it's neither <laughs> here or, neither here nor there the point is you're being a lot more like hesitant to than i am and if, if it doesn't make sense then there has to be a reason why it doesn't make sense. They all aren't. Well, so there, so there hold on, hold on. There are two Occam's razors here. One thing, one thing, one thing, one yeah. thing, one thing. Before you get to that, I'm fine with one team being dumb. They aren't all dumb. And they all would have to be dumb for no one to take a run at Lamar Jackson. Okay, give me the double razor. That's the, 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 the two Occam's razors here, whichever one you, look at, you want to look at, is the team's don't think he can play the way he did in 2019 again. And that normally quarterbacks get better and they think he's going to get worse in the second part of this contract and it's going to screw their team and they're going to have to give up two first round picks or it's collusion. To me, there's, 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 okay. the, the thing so, is like, those are the only two like logical options for me. So the, the tough one with the first, the tough one with the first one is all of them think that. Oh, <laughs> I guess all of them, except for the teams that have the other seven good quarterbacks. Yeah. Well, the rest of the teams think that. And none of like all the times we see quarterbacks get second chances who are bad. He's good. You know what I mean? Like all the times where we convince, like, and I understand the price is different. Like Tannehill, give him another look. He'll figure it out. That's the ding, ding, ding. The price is different. Isn't isn't there a value assessment for some of these teams? Some of these teams have to think the value's wrong. No, 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 no. I get you. But my point is, if you get a guy like Tannehill on the cheap and your team still stinks, then you've still wasted two, three, four years, however long you've committed to try to make this work. And I guess that's the way that I think about it is like there's a window. And when you make big financial commitments, that binds you to a particular window. And so my point is, is it not worth $200 million guaranteed to have a chance at a championship window? Yeah, maybe he shows up and maybe he's not that good. All right. And you blew it. Like, that's unlikely. I say 10, 15, 20% chance if I'm being, if you're even including like injury as a chance. There's like 20% chance that there's an injury that he won't be able to bounce back from. We can go up to 33% chance if you want, if it makes you feel better. Make it 50% chance. No, I want him. I want him on the commanders. I know. Make it 50% chance. That's a better chance than anybody else has right now if you don't have one of those quarterbacks. And that's the thing that really makes it confusing to me. And Lamar, we talk, at least I talk a lot about negotiations and there's a bunch of different kinds of negotiations, but this one seems like it's veered into contentious. When you have a contentious negotiation with uh, a player that's disimportant to your team, that's a problem. But also what determines the outcome of a contentious negotiation? It's the team, it's the person or the entity that uh, 
has a better alternative and also can convince the opposite side that they are willing to take that alternative. Lamar's alternative seems better right now than the Ravens alternative. So I just don't get it. You lost. But I guess maybe they're at a point now where there's nothing that could bring him back. I don't know how he feels about it, but like he certainly doesn't seem happy. Do you really think Lamar has a ton of leverage right now with the way he's yeah. played this in, in withholding yeah. services, knowing like what Le'Veon Bell said that he just regrets sitting out that year more than anything. How, and, and if he has this leverage, one, does he get a fully guaranteed somewhere deal somewhere? And how does it actually get, how, where's he going to play football this year? I just can't imagine Lamar Jackson's not going to play football in his 26 to 27 year old season uh, as a former MVP when he's missed 11 games over the last two years. Um, and is seemingly healthy now. Like, I guess this reminds me of like the Emmett Smith holdout. It depends on how they start the season. Do you think the Ravens are going to be good without Lamar Jackson? And I know that they've played well in spurts with um, with Snoop. Not last year. Yeah, I mean they they Purple were quarterback Snoop Huntley. Yeah, they were competitive in the. Um, in the Bengals game in the year prior when Lamar was hurt, they won some games, but they weren't scoring. Like they were barely uh, staying in these games. So I guess the question, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough one to, and maybe it's my bias hoping that Lamar has more leverage, but the way that I view it is pretty simple. Lamar is one of eight teams or is one of eight players that you think are on this particular tier. And the Ravens are one of 32 teams. I guess you can knock it down to 24 that need a quarterback. Lamar has more opportunities. Lamar does not need the Ravens as much as I think the Ravens need Lamar. Considering that the Ravens have never really had a quarterback this good and probably they recognize how hard it is to find one. So unless you think that it's getting easier to find quarterbacks, unless you believe that they're going to find one somewhere else, then it feels like he has the leverage. And the question I have is how much do you think the fact that Deshaun Watson sucked on that contract and Kirk Cousins has been on guaranteed contracts and has largely, I don't know, statistically been fine, but disappointed in performance affected the way these teams look at this. Cause would you rather have Lamar Jackson, who's missed 11 games over the last two years? I th- actually, I do think it's fair to say injury is a concern with him. Yeah. Like he's just, he's just a smaller guy then, you know, he's not the size of Josh Allen. Josh Allen's gigantic. Um, do Would you rather have him at $55 million a year, $52 million a year, however you want to load the contract? Or would you rather have uh, a chance at one of these rookie QBs on a rookie scale, uh, a chance at Caleb Williams or Drake May next year, and building around a team where you have more value at the position and something new? I know that, like, you're, I, no. I know the argument would be, well, you're hoping one of those guys becomes Lamar Jackson. Yeah. But I get it. If you could get a guy that's 75% of Lamar Jackson at a much lower price, I get the reason why that would be enticing. But you got to do that. Name mm-hmm. all the quarterbacks that just come in and are good, and then name all the quarterbacks that come in and stink. Like, yeah. I, I think it's harder to do than we think. So, yes, if that if that was the true – if that was their true alternative, that is not their true alternative. Their true alternative is try to find another quarterback. Right. Like, and start from scratch without a high draft pick. Like, that is their actual alternative. Trade for somebody, develop somebody, try to suck bad enough to get to the top of the draft or get lucky and find 
Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott late in the draft. These things are a lot less common than you think. Like we can go through, if you want to go through the teams in the league, we can look at all the ones who haven't had a good quarterback in a long time and how many swings they took at it. It's worth the it. top two. You know what I mean? It's worth it. Pay this money. And I, I would, um, if I were running the Ravens, I would be fine. Like I'd be disappointed if he turned out to not be very good. But that's my point. The original point that I was making is aside from the idea that you don't, you just fundamentally don't want to give him a fully guaranteed contract. Aside from that idea, football and anything in life when you're trying to win something competitive is about taking calculated risk. Yes. Part of this risk is Lamar is going to get hurt. That and part of this risk is that he's not going to improve as a passer like you need him to. But that's the risk that you are taking. And it's not like you will set your franchise back for eternity. That's like a four or five year commitment. If you get to the end of it and he stinks, then then you're back where you started. I just don't get it. Yeah. And I guess uh, Howard Bryant pointed this out. He said that the only way he thought the Ravens could win in this situation with the hit they've taken is if he went somewhere else and was bad. And yeah. that's the only way their bet their bet pays off. Um, I mean, I I I tend to and and, and I'm sorry. The last thing about no, that is, yeah, yeah, you're right, but that doesn't that doesn't win you a championship. Ain't that why you're here? Like he could go somewhere else and suck, and you'd be like, I told you so. But in that, still in, that, in that in that case, he's not going to win you a championship on your team. No, also, no, 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 no. That's my point. Is he's been very good for you. Putting Lamar Jackson somewhere else does not mean that he will be successful somewhere else. But isn't that the whole Lamar Jackson argument that he is the offense? It doesn't yeah, mean he but, can be anywhere. No, I think I think Lamar Jackson is great enough to be elsewhere and do better. But I'm saying my point is just because he goes somewhere else and sucks does not mean that you made the right decision because hmm. he could still be great there with you. You don't know what the what the variables are that lead to him sucking somewhere else. You don't know what he needs. Like every quarterback needs something. You can put great quarterbacks on bad teams and they're going to stink. We can talk about Josh Allen. We can talk about Joe Burrow. We can talk about uh, Patrick Mahomes. We can talk about all the quarterbacks that are really great. And we can point to reasons why they are really great that are outside of their own ability. So that's my only point is that just because he goes somewhere else and sucks, if he does go somewhere else and suck, does not mean that <laughs> you guys would not have been better. You built him. yourself such a like a, a little Lamar cocoon right now that if he, even, if, even if he is bad somewhere, you still have made yourself right. No, 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 no. I'm not making myself right. I'm making the Ravens wrong. Okay. It's, it's different. It's entirely different. I'm not making myself right. I think that the Ravens are wrong. And I think that it is worth taking a chance. I think even if he signs up and they stink with him, then that's a risk worth taking. It's a risk worth taking. Uh, the other thing I'd say is if you're Lamar, you have to be dead set on the fully guaranteed contract. Like if you do, like you do, yeah, like yeah, he's, he's painted himself into a corner. At a certain, isn't that dumb too, though? Like where it's just like take the, I don't know, 185 million. It's guaranteed. not. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's absolutely because like if you're gonna get above Kyler but below, below Deshaun, like does it really matter? I guess it's yeah. principle, but it wouldn't yeah. matter to me. It would not matter to me. Yeah, but you're. I mean, yeah, I, me and he's I, him. Yeah, I feel you. I'm the same way. But every time I start thinking like if I would advise Lamar to do that, I'm not. I'm not Lamar Jackson. I've never won an MVP of the NFL. Like I don't know what it feels like to be like to feel as disrespected as he probably feels. I mean, I know what it feels like to be disrespected and I've done plenty of dumb shit in the name of demanding my respect. 
yeah, I don't I mean, and to be honest with you, it's like the money is always about respect at a certain point. It's just like so it's just so silly to me because I feel like and this might just be my read on the situation, but if he had two hundred and thirty nine million dollars guaranteed, nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents. And that one cent was based on performance. The deal could be the deal could be like nearly done. And to me, that's just silly and trivial. It is silly and trivial. And but I mean, that's us. That's that's men. (laughs) We do stupid stuff like this about ego and and measuring anatomy. And it's come down to that point with Lamar. And you don't want to be the one that that's embarrassed publicly. So will you will you be disappointed if he doesn't have a fully guaranteed contract? You as as a fan of like the of, you know, players getting what they deserve. No, I won't be disappointed. Um. I'm lying. I'd be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I'd be a little disappointed. I'd be a little let down because what we do all this for. But maybe yeah. he's getting the number up higher. And that would be his argument for it. I mean, the fact of the matter is, like, from my union standpoint, you I, I mentioned this to you a little bit before. The fully guaranteed contract is not really that great for the players. Yeah. Like, I, I get it. It's great for Lamar. It's great for Deshaun. It's not really great for everyone else because mm. in the off chance that Lamar gets hurt that money is taken out of the cap they don't they don't refund the cap someone else is going to be a starting quarterback for that team and not getting the money that that they deserve so like the and and if we ever got to a place in the nfl where all the contracts are fully guaranteed i think that's a uh, something that players want and and seems like a lot of fans i think use as a way to feel like noble it's like yeah the players should get guaranteed contracts I think what actually happens is the contracts just get smaller because yeah. essentially players have guaranteed contracts and then they just put it. I mean, at least in your second deal, your contract's guaranteed. It's just all the stuff on the back is like fluff and leverage. So like you can have a $8 million roster bonus, which the purpose of that is to force them to either renegotiate with you or release you so that you can get another bite at the apple because like you're fully, what is guaranteed to you is what your contract maybe give or take it like if we made contracts fully guaranteed what is guaranteed to you is what your contract would become yeah like no one really has the leverage to be like no remember that old contract give me that so like it's it's weird that it's something that in the public we talk about a lot but it's not something that is like a sticking point for the union like contracts or a sticking point for agents or players it's just like and it, it, the people who have the leverage will be the guys who have the leverage now. It's the quarterbacks and the like special Hall of Fame type guys that can be like, all right. And we've, we've seen that leverage. We saw Russell Wilson get a massive massive amount of guaranteed money. We saw Aaron Rodgers get a massive amount of guaranteed money. Obviously, Watson, you know, one of – I wanted to make a disgusting brother succession joke, but there's only – he's just disgusting to Sean. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, anyway – uh, you know, we've seen that it's already led to the quarterbacks part of it. The thing that I also find fascinating about this, and this is away from the the union stuff, but more to the personal stuff. I actually think it's been underreported how beloved Lamar Jackson is in Baltimore and Maryland and in even the D.C. area. Like he is the guy that they traded up for, had a first round pick after every other team passed on him. He took the torch from a franchise that had you know that people love Flacco, but come on, it was like uh, those four good games. But it was really Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, and he took the torch and was the most popular player in that city. We're in Washington D.C. I think that he's the most popular player amongst kids in Washington D.C. I think it is. It's 
it's obviously like him being cool. It's his style of play. It's him being a quarterback, but like he's massively important to the city and the Ravens haven't made that mistake. They haven't been like, we don't want to pay the guy that gives us credibility of being the cool franchise in this city, in Washington, DC, in the whole DMV area. Yeah. I mean, I, I, he's not LeBron obviously, but it seems like he does bring some value to the franchise that he is, uh, that's outside of his on field play. There's like value to the, the fans that you create, the kids mm-hmm. who are going to grow up with Lamar Jackson as a part of their life the whole time become lifelong Ravens fans, you know, and the coolness factor that comes with that. Like, yeah, you, they have bled into the DC area. I'm from Baltimore and I, I live in DC now and nobody's out here talking about, uh, I don't even know who was it. Sam, uh, Howell. Sam Howell. No one's out here talking about Sam Howell. Like the, the kids wear Lamar jerseys if they're going to wear something in the area. And, and that has value. And that's if uh, the Ravens have never messed this up ever. It seems like the wrong long-term decision and the wrong short-term decision, all because you don't want a bunch of billionaires to be mad at you. Come on, Steve, do the right thing. Pay that man. I agree. Um, where do you think he's going to play next year? Yeah, I don't know. I'd been sticking with the Ravens because I've never seen this happen before. Um, I'm going to say that the Ravens cave eventually. He's going to be a commander. No way. Call my shot. I mean, that, that'd be genius yeah. for them to sign him. Like, again, it, it increases the franchise value just before Snyder's going to sell it. Uh, it. It'd be great with Ron Rivera, who, like, I don't know that he managed um, Cam Newton's career very well, but managed a dynamic athlete at quarterback well enough. They never got him any receivers. Never mind, Lamar, don't come here. <laughs> don't come here. <laughs> Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. So what was not said was the NCAA women's final. What was said was the reaction, the postgame reaction. So I think we're going to talk a little bit about the reaction to the reaction. First of all, the game was great. Like from yeah. the beginning to the end, it was an enjoyable game. The refs were bad, but the refs are always bad. I didn't think that changed the outcome. But the right, the right team won. LSU was a much better basketball team. Yeah. And I mean, Caitlin Clark in Iowa had a pretty good, impressive not pretty a very impressive win over South Carolina and a great run uh but the conversation after the game was much about uh Angel Reese uh taunting Caitlin Clark in ways that Caitlin Clark has taunted other players and people determining whether it was classless or not so I don't think we need to get into that I feel very strongly or confidently that you and I both are on the same side of this that like not a big deal like uh Anyone who could fix their fingers or their lips to complain about Angel Reese but have not done so about Caitlin Clark needs to do some soul searching. I don't think that you should complain about either because, honestly, it's entertainment and it's fun and no one's getting hurt. Uh, And it also feels like it's just the culture of the sport. And I see it so much more in the lower levels of sports is like my son and my daughter's teams. My daughter seems much less so when she's older, but my son seemed to very much are like this show offy trying to make highlights and trying to celebrate. And it's like the social media influence of of all of this stuff on sports has made it into this. But all that aside, what kind of got my attention was I'm shocked that we're still this stupid when it comes to like social media. It's like it just felt like if we were if I asked someone to write a script for how we could have a stupid Twitter fight about a sporting event. It would be this when you have a largely white team with a white player doing the cocky stuff and then people cheering it and appreciating it. And then somehow a two days later, find taking issue with uh, a black player doing the same sort of thing. So like, I didn't want to jump into the conversation because I thought it it felt so stupid because I couldn't imagine that anyone actually had any energy for what felt like a a a farm of Russian bots putting together whatever they can to get us to fight because it's so obvious and dumb. Have we not matured? And so I I guess I don't want to say it like I haven't fallen into these traps before. I'm a lot less active on social media these days, not for any specific reason, just because I don't enjoy it and I don't get paid to do it. So like, why, why would I do that? But I, I do like check in and see what's happening. And when I saw this happening, I checked out immediately, but I was just same, surprised. Same. I was just surprised because I don't know. I guess I feel like everything kind of evolves and the conversation evolves. And like we were doing this five years ago. We're having this fu- this fight ten years ago, and it seems like such an uh, like an obviously dumb fight to have. 
how we get drawn back into it is confusing to me. Do you think people actually had a problem? I, I think that's what it is to me that's frustrating. It's like, I don't think people actually had a problem with Angel Reese as well, much as... Yeah, we should. We, yeah, I mean, I think we should really call out exactly what's happening here. There was a tweet that sort of led to all of this. It was El Prez Portnoy from Barstool called Angel Reese a classless piece of shit. And the connotations of that are Did incredible. He? Yes. And that's oh, a, that's God. really what started the firestorm about this. And it led to people breaking down more and more of this. And like that's seriously, even, that's that's even dumber to me. Because like we know who he is, we know what he's doing, we know why he did that. Like, I, I hope nobody I knew I know fell into that obvious trap. Like, you just—he's doing this for a reason. I think the whole internet fell into that obvious trap, sadly. Oh God! But the thing is, is like the the annoying part is you can like I think the pragmatic take is to largely not care and think it's awesome when college kids are taunting and talking trash, while also being able to be like it's a little bit eye rolly to. Uh, say that you were you took it personally that Caitlin Clark talked trash to South Carolina when that's your SEC rival. It can be both. It can you can roll your eyes at that not being like cool while also not having any problem with the larger, yeah, taunting thing at hand. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. Like I don't have a problem with the the SEC thing. So to be fair, Andrew, I don't have a problem with that. I just think it's sort of lame. Yeah, I mean that's fine. To be fair though, Angel Reese is. She, she is like that like that you don't have to piss angel reese off for her to like trash talk you like that's always yeah. how she's been all season long so i think it's probably a little bs for her to say that the reason was because of south carolina but yeah. I, I also think that there's the i think that she recognized when she went to the podium and you heard what don staley had to say um about how her team is covered i think that the the racial implications of how Caitlin Clark has been treated and how white athletes are treated through black. I think that is more what she was speaking to when it comes to the South Carolina player, because like what K Caitlin did where she kind of waves off, not just the, you can't see me gesture that she did or the other general trash talking. The fact that in the middle of play, they're choosing not strategically choosing not to guard South Carolina on the perimeter. And Caitlin takes her arm and unnecessarily just waves her off like yeah we don't respect you like yeah that's hugely disrespectful does that bother me no i loved it i felt that's disrespectful to lsu no no i'm not saying this disrespect disrespectful to lsu i'm yeah. saying that from um angel reese's perspective as a black athlete we watched she watched caitlin clark do that to the the women who are much like her in the sec black women and we and and watch the social media world celebrate her for that. I think that's more what she's speaking to. It's not that she, maybe she used the words SEC sisters, but I don't think, I guess I'm probably projecting ding, ding, ding. and trying no, to. No, I think, I think you're right. I think it's a fair thing to prove to, to. Yeah. I think that that's more what she's speaking to than anything. And honestly, if I'm being completely honest about um, Angel Reese's, she was going to do that anyway, because that's how she acts. Yeah. The fact that Caitlin Clark was there to be the one to receive it just made it more fun. And I yeah. think that she like that was her honest emotional reaction. And then she had some time to think about the story that she was going to tell. And that's a great story to tell. But I don't think that she cared about any of that. I think that she recognized to my point earlier that this is her moment. This is this is how you blow up on social 
social media. This is how you have fun. This is true to her personality. This is how you get your NIL bucks up is you become a superstar. You become the story after the game. And she became the story after the game. And as a comf- uncomfortable as it was, if Caitlin Clark on this, um, this much less talented Iowa team mm-hmm. wins yeah. the national championship, and Caitlin Clark is acting like she always acts and she's running around, jumping, waving, uh, or she's doing the same things that she's always done. Is like, you can't see me. I think that it's, you can't prove a negative, but I think the reaction would be different. And I think that's what Angel Reese is reacting. I think to. that the part partially, yes. I think Caitlin Clark and what I think Angel Reese should have done. And I thought I should, I've never won anything. So who am I to say, <laughs> um, you got to talk shit during the game. You got to do it while while the while there's still time on the clock and as right. and there's ego at stake. That was like, I can't imagine someone winning, you know, the NBA championship and the first thing going to the opponent rather than like losing your shit with your own team. That'd be my my one note, my one right. note to Angel Reese because that's what that's what Caitlin Clark did. And to me, I I think you locked in on something that is the bigger story. There were millions more people watching the NCAA tournament than the women's NCAA tournament than ever have before. The tournament was bigger than the men's tournament. I was more invested in it. And Angel Reese is a higher rated recruit than Caitlin Clark. She averaged what 23 and 15 this year. She probably <laughs> thinks she's a better player than Caitlin Clark. Yeah. But Caitlin Clark is Stephen Curry. She's Pete Maravich. She has a style of play that is much more fun to watch on television than Angel Reese because mm-hmm. she's off the dribble taking 30 footers. And so the story of the tournament going into last night was Caitlin Clark. Yeah. That's what changed, you know, the interest in women's basketball is beating an unbeatable South Carolina team. Um, And so when, when you say that Angel Reese is like, this is how she really feels. She wants to talk her shit. It's because I guarantee you, she feels like she should be the story that she, even though we feel like Goliath just punched David in the mouth of LSU beating uh, Iowa, I guarantee you her, she thinks that she was David beating Goliath in that game. And that's an interesting psychology. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we don't have to get into, we fell into the trap a little bit in, in debating, bit. but I, I think the bigger question is that I don't think we have an answer to, but I guess maybe it's just like the sport of it is some people find it enjoyable, but I, I guess it just seemed like an obvious trap that there's no, there's no other side to this conversation other than the side that we both agree is like, maybe you could argue uh, that it could be done slightly differently, or yeah. you could argue that that's not how you would do it, but like calling into question how classy someone is. Were there other people other than Portnoy who like, yeah, yeah. It just became the buzzword for the debate. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the part that I feel like we just, we, we should be smarter than, but I guess I'm just too dumb to realize that, that the people they aren't being genuine because I can't imagine that it just I can't see nobody I respect that I know can take a logical argument to to be upset with how this like can you form an argument that seems reasonable and how you can be upset at um and I guess maybe there are people out there who are sick of Caitlin and uh and Angel but it felt like the argument was like <laughs> just Angel should have acted better in that moment and no one has room for um, criticizing Caitlin. Well, I think, well, I think the I- irony is, is that people who decided to cape for Angel Reese had to take shots at Caitlin Clark for it. Yeah. 
And that that's like the, that's the thing that she. But it's not. Like, no, I mean, I guess I again, I didn't in, participate in it, but I guess the way that I view it is not shots at Caitlin Clark. Like I was in my group chats, love Caitlin Clark. She's so fun, and like the trash talking made it more interesting, and the gestures of disrespect or not disrespect made it more interesting. But I, I think that the only reason why you bring Caitlin Clark up is to point out people's hypocrisy, mm-hmm. and like generally, I don't believe. Uh, like the unwritten rules of baseball like this all that stuff bothers me so like i'm fine with people talking trash and acting any old kind of way it's uncomfortable it sucks but i'm fine with any of any of that happening so i would not bring up caitlin clark as the like well if she did it she shouldn't do it my point is they all should be able to do it and you all should just mind your business and enjoy the entertainment who's getting hurt here nobody oh yeah and i also like Here's the thing, piece. This is the best thing that could have happened for next year's women's college basketball season. Uh, Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark are going to both be back. I assume they'll both start the seasons as top five teams, assuming nothing happens with transfer portal, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what? Imagine if Larry Bird got to play Magic Johnson the next year in the final four also, or in the national championship game also. There's actual stakes to it now and rivalries. And you know what we have lost? I mean, I know we had it last year. I know we had it with UNC Duke in the final four, but you know, what we've lost in men's college basketball rivalries Shit that yeah. matters. This actually rivalries matters. And um, personalities. Yes. Established personalities. I give, I truly care. Yeah. We had this conversation. I don't think it was on air, but before the NCAA tournament started, like I was kind of making the argument that the women's tournament is more interesting. Cause like, I actually know the coaches names and I know some of the players names, know the style of play. Most of the the men's tournament, I was just learning about people when they showed up. Yeah, like Noel, new to me. <laughs> like all that stuff was new to me. And I guess part of that is the one and doneness of it, and also just like the parody in the sport that we end up with a pretty unusual Final Four. No, no, this is a huge part of it. Like a, a part of the reason we loved college basketball, even through the beginning of the one and done era, was you had senior laden teams going against freshman superstars, and before right. that, you had teams that grew together. Well. Now in college basketball, with the way that the transfer portal is, the way that conference realignment has happened, we have lost a ton of the charm of, you know, how you care about these things. Because it's not even clear that the players care about pro- the programs the same way right. they used to. Uh, the women's game is incredible with that. And I think, I honestly think if you had told me that five years ago, and maybe this is just something inherently wrong with me, with how I watched women's sports yeah. earlier in my 20s, I would have been shocked if you told me I cared more about the women's national championship game than the men's and, and, it's, and I think also to be fair, the women's game is better than it was then. <laughs> like, and uh, it, way better. It, it seems uh, not that I'm some basketball guru, but it seems smarter. Like I see adjustments happening that I don't remember seeing in previous games. And I think it's because of talent disparity. Like it was, there was so such a talent disparity and there were teams that were just far and away. Like it didn't feel like there was a chance. Now it feels like there's a chance. And we saw yeah. that chance come to fruition, but um, your point is right. Like I'm going to be looking forward to next season. And your point about men's basketball is the point that I've been making is how the corporatization of all of that has made it kind of homogenous and a little bit boring. And like, I don't know anybody on any team. There aren't like characters and personality, like outside of like, I guess Mark Few, I know him. And like Virginia has a specific style of play that's despicable. Love, love that pack line defense. Uh, I'm just kidding. I hate, I hate it. 
But I mean, it gives you something. I guess the point is, and I, I've always said this about like professional sports is like I love a dynasty because it gives me something to care about. It gives mm-hmm. me a storyline. It gives you a hero and a villain, depending on what side you're on. And I think that's a, a more honest look at what makes us like sports is or makes us buy into the sports when we are not invested in the team is like the storyline and the storyline is built around like a a specific or distinct distinctions between teams and whether it's cultural or whether it's um style wise or or um personality wise or the head coaches like there's a reason to show up because you want to see if jim Beheim's uh two three zone can be beaten or you want to see if this Mm -hmm. uh group of freshmen is going to overtake this uh less talented but more mature team it doesn't feel like that is the case in men's basketball but in in women's basketball it's like yeah i I know don staley and like i know kim mulkey and i i I have a feeling for the different styles of play and then of course like yukon and gino and like that stuff feels fun to me and it doesn't feel like often when we talk about women's sports it feels kind of pandery and like like we we have to do this like it feels great to be at a space where it's like genuine. Like I am actually more excited. <laughs> I was more excited about the women's final than I am about the men's final. And I'm more excited about the women's tournament next year or the women's uh, season next year than I am the men's season. I, I can't say that that's true about the WNBA versus the NBA, but, and it's not just more excited. I think I want to be clear that it's not like just because the men's tournament feels like it's down. It's like, yeah, women's tournament is awesome and better. Yeah. And, and it was before also better than the men's tournament as far as entertainment is concerned and there's a and that's a huge like credit to how far the women's game has evolved so quickly too and i'm not the person to point this out but people were grinding the tape on on twitter and on podcasts that lsu played like an nba team where they spread it out and did high pick and rolls and got easy baskets they're like iowa's bigs are too slow we're getting easy baskets over and over again and caitlin clark's obviously obviously inspired by stephen curry I don't think yeah. that's that's tough to say, but that's awesome to see that evolution of the game because the college game, the men's game has regressed. It's gone the other way. Yeah. I hope she transfers. That'd be fun. <laughs> Where what would be the because what would be the best the best landing spot? No, not yeah, UConn. Go to UConn. Play with Paige Beckers and as he yeah, her easy her and Paige. Oh yeah, I guess she won't get on the court. Or well, one of them. <laughs> Paige Paige injured all the damn time. So I guess she might being for page oh well all right charlie uh we got a special roses and thorns episode coming on wednesday a full episode so took a week off coming back strong thanks charlie for showing up thanks adi khan sarah abbott and of course christina buswell this is the dominique foxworth show